Come on, may take a moment just to start and say thank you on this Sunday after Thanksgiving for the ways in which you have already welcomed and appreciated my family and I. Me, we appreciate it. So thank you. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for this chance to open up your word, to dive into scripture, and to hear what your spirit has for us this morning. And so God, would you take this time, may the meditations of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds be pleasing and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As a parent, one of the most exhausting times of the day is bedtime. You've just spent all day working or taking care of kids and family and the house, and you get to the end of the day, and sometimes you just want it to end. It is more difficult when your kids are younger and they need a little more help brushing their teeth and getting their pajamas on. A tradition that our family started early on was that after we got all ready, before turning the lights off, we would read a book. And this tradition has mostly continued, although the books that we read have drastically changed. I remember this one night in particular. Lewis was a baby and Micah was about three years old. We had just gone through the whole process of getting ready for bed and somehow, I don't remember how, the story of Goldilocks and the three bears came up. It's not a normal thing that comes up in conversations, so I'm not 100% sure how this came up. And even worse, we didn't have the book. We didn't own it. And so we sat down and Ellie decided she was going to tell the story. And so she sits down and begins telling the story, and time after time, Micah is just busting up laughing. As he imagines this little girl who makes her way into a house that isn't hers, eats food that isn't hers, the bowl that is just right, sits in a chair that is just right until it eventually breaks, and she falls and sleeps in a bed that was just right for her needs. And then when she wakes up to a family of three bears staring at her, he was laughing so hard with that kind of rolling belly laughter that some kids have. And after the story, Micah confidently declared, that's funny. But then he asked a question that really blew my mind. And it was something that I had never really thought of in association with this story. He asked Ellie, did the other bears fix the chair? So that baby bear had a place to sit. And in tune with that, I imagine his mind thinking also, did they share their food with him so he had something to eat? Or did they make sure and remake his bed so he had a comfortable place to sleep? In other words, Micah, even at three years old, heard this story and, while yes, funny, saw the lack the need, the potential suffering of this little bear whose life had been invaded by a poorly supervised little girl and wanted to make sure that that suffering, that need was met before the story ended. In our scripture passage this morning, we meet an unnamed woman who had been through so much suffering that I'm certain she had given up any hope of healing. And had concluded that this suffering was going to be the end of her story. Until she encounters Jesus. 
In this section of Mark 5, we find two different healing stories that the author of the Gospel of Mark has combined in order to highlight this woman as a premier example of faith. Beginning in verse 21, we are told that Jesus had just crossed the Sea of Galilee, and when he made it to shore, he encounters Jairus, a synagogue leader. As a synagogue leader, Jairus was basically a pastor. He would have been responsible for leading worship for the Jewish people in the area. And his daughter was sick and dying, and nobody could help her. So in desperation, he comes and he falls down before Jesus says, Jesus, would you come heal her? By this time, news of Jesus had spread and Jesus had invited quite a following. And so there was this huge crowd of people who are pressing in on Jesus as Jairus leads him to his home. And then in verse 25, Mark cuts from this scene of a crowd pressing around Jesus on his way to heal a little 12-year-old girl to this woman. And we don't know many details about her. We're not told her name. We don't know exactly where she's from, although presumably she is a Jew. And we have no clue what she did to survive. But we can deduce a few things. We are told that she had suffered from an issue that caused bleeding for 12 years. Now, I'm not a medical professional. You don't want me performing any surgery anywhere. But I imagine having this sort of an issue of a slow, constant bleed would have caused a host of other physical issues. Likely, she would have been constantly tired, constantly thirsty and hungry as her body tried to keep producing enough blood to replace what she was losing. And over the course of 12 years, she had gone to doctor after doctor, and despite all the tests, all the diagnoses, all the treatment plans tried, medication prescribed, procedures attempted, the bleeding got worse until she spent all that she had. This was a woman who was suffering and thought that was the end of her story. But her suffering wasn't just physical or medical, it was also social. Another thing to know about this woman is that in the Jewish culture from which she came and in which she lived, she would have been considered ritually unclean because of her constant bleeding. And while being ritually unclean doesn't necessarily mean you were a sinner, it did affect your position in society. As an unclean person, she would not have been allowed to into the synagogue for worship. If she had ever made the trip to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the temple, she would not have been allowed in. Everyone she touched would have been made unclean along with her. And everywhere she sat would have been considered unclean. And if anybody came along and sat in that place before it had been ritually washed, they also would have been made unclean. In most circumstances, this kind of ritual uncleanliness was short-lived. Once someone stopped bleeding, they simply went through a ritual washing, and then they would have been considered clean and able to live life normally. But this woman, with her constant bleeding for 12 years, more than likely, because she lived in this society that set a high premium on being ritually clean, she was likely estranged from family had few, if any, friends, unable to earn a significant living. And because, what she had, because she had spent all that she had over 12 years, she likely had no place to live. She was a social 
outcast. And her suffering was also deeply personal. Having spent 12 years in the state of being unclean, it would have dominated her identity. She isn't Beth, daughter of Frank and Sheila from Nazareth. She's an unnamed woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. In the culture she lived, she was an outcast, forgotten, unnamed, unseen, unworthy, and unclean. And after 12 years of this, she was hopeless for anything to change. Suffering dominated her story, her social status, and her identity. But at some point, someone told her about what Jesus had been up to. And one more time, she dared to hope. She thought to herself, if what I've heard about Jesus is true, all I have to do is touch his cloak, touch his clothes. I don't need to talk to him. He doesn't need to see me or know me or hear my story. I just need to touch his cloak. So when Jesus is passing by, she fights her way through the crowd, which in and of itself is a desperate act of courage because certainly she touched a few people as she was fighting her way through the crowd. And Every person she touched technically would have been made ritually unclean. And when she finally touches Jesus' cloak, Mark says, immediately, she was healed. The New International Version says it this way. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, healed from her disease. Having grown to live life unseen and unknown, her plan was to escape that situation unseen and unknown. But Jesus would have none of that. He stops immediately what he is doing. He felt the power of healing go out from him, and he asks, who touched me? And God loved the disciples. Because they're like, there's a lot of people around here, Jesus. A lot of people will be touching you. We have no clue how long it took her to come forward. But when she eventually does, Mark says that she came in fear and trembling. And Mark leaves us to speculate exactly why she was afraid. Maybe she was in fear and trembling in awe of what had happened to her. Amazed at what had happened. Or maybe she was afraid of what Jesus' reaction would be. After all, by touching him, she was technically making him ritually unclean. And after 12 years of reactions, I imagine that some of those people had gotten angry at her, said all sorts of hurtful things to her when she touched them. But not Jesus. Jesus stops and takes the time to listen, to see her, to know her, to show her that she is indeed worthy and valued. And when he does finally respond to her after she's told him the truth of all that had happened, there's so much freedom and healing found in his response to her. First, he affirms her identity. Jesus identifies her not as an outcast, but as part of his family. He doesn't identify her by her sickness. He doesn't identify her by her ritual state of clean or unclean. He doesn't yell at her or express any concern about her, his ritual state because of being touched by her. But this woman who had for 12 years lived basically alone without family, Jesus calls daughter. Open arms, embracing her as part of his family. 
Second, Jesus affirms her agency. Notice what Jesus credits her healing to. He doesn't say, I'm so great. Look at me, I've healed you. No, he says your faith has healed you. To be sure, the healing came from God's power at work through Jesus. But Jesus points to the truth that in some mysterious way, God's healing power is accessed by faith. And this woman stands as a premier example A faith that despite 12 years of doctors, 12 years of disappointments, 12 years of shame, 12 years of physical, social, and emotional pain fought through the crowd in the belief that all she needed to do to be healed by Jesus was touch his cloak. He affirms her identity. He affirms her agency. And finally, Jesus affirms her future. He says, go in peace. In all likelihood, Jesus told her the word he used was shalom. A word that, yes, is translated peace, but implies something far more than just a life lived free of conflict. It's a declaration of a life filled with social and personal and spiritual wholeness, all the broken pieces of life being put back together by the goodness and grace of God. Jesus says, go in shalom, be healed of your disease, be freed of your suffering. And as I've reflected on the story of this unnamed woman who had suffered for 12 years silent and alone, I can't help but wonder how many of us go through our difficult times in silence, keeping our struggles to ourselves, thinking that we are strong enough to carry our own burdens. And we end up spending all of our emotional and spiritual energy attempting to get better, but so oftentimes find ourselves silently falling deeper and deeper. Whether it's anxiety or depression or this belief that we are beyond God's help and grace. And as I reflect upon this story, I can't help but wonder how often the church of Christ has been guilty of building walls intended to keep those we deem unworthy or too sinful or unclean or just a little too different to be here out. It's so interesting to note in this story that Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus. We know his name. We know his occupation. He was a synagogue leader. He was respected in the community. We know he is wealthy. His daughter has her own room. And by the logic of the world, Jairus was the one worthy, worthy of grace, worthy of the healing being asked. And to be sure, Jairus, his need is filled. Jesus makes it to his house and his daughter is healed, but not before Jesus takes the time to affirm this woman, her identity, her agency, and her future. This woman who in the culture that she lived would have deemed unworthy. And as I reflect upon this story, I can't help but be challenged by the truth that the core message of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, the doors are thrown open for all to become daughters and sons of God. And when the kingdom of God breaks into this world, healing and wholeness are the result. How can we As God's people live deeper to this mission of welcoming all into God's family and being agents of healing and wholeness in a world filled with suffering. Brennan Manning was a Christian author, speaker. He was a Catholic priest best known for his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. But he tells a story in another book he wrote called The Furious Longing of God. He had just spoken at this massive retreat in the Midwest. And as was his custom, he 
went off after he spoke into a room off to the side, and he would let people who wanted or felt compelled come and speak to him. And the night, on that particular night, the line extended well beyond midnight. And he was so exhausted afterwards, he didn't even bother changing clothes. He just went straight to bed. At about three in the morning, a 78-year-old nun knocked on the door and asked to speak with him for a minute. And as they spoke in the hallway, she told him things about her life that she had never told anyone before. She told him that how 73 years earlier she began experiencing abuse at the hands of her father and how that continued for years. She finally said, Brennan, do you have any idea how dirty I feel? I've lived with so much hatred of my father, hatred of myself, that I would only go to communion when my absence would be conspicuous. Only go when I knew someone would notice that I wasn't there. And after listening to the story, Brennan prayed over her and then challenged her to do something. He asked her to find a quiet place every morning for 30 days. To sit down in a chair, to close her eyes, to turn her palms upside down and repeat this simple prayer over and over in tune with her breathing. Here's the prayer. Abba, an intimate word for Father, I belong to you. Over and over again, Abba, I belong to you. And she said she would. At some point later, he received a letter from this nun. In this letter, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace she'd never known in 78 years. She concluded her letter with these words. A year ago... I would have signed this letter with my real name in religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm daddy's little girl, a beloved daughter of God. In a world that is filled with so much suffering, seen and unseen, known and unknown, whether a 78-year-old nun or an unnamed person who had suffered as an outcast for 12 years or anyone in between, the promise of Jesus is that when we come to him in faith, we can find freedom from our suffering in the restoring love of God. May these words of Jesus to this unnamed woman be not only what we embrace for ourselves, but also what we proclaim to the world. Son, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, we thank you for the example of this woman who out of faith pushed through the crowd and sought out Jesus, searching for healing. And God, we are grateful for the healing and the love that you constantly pour out and provide for us. Holy God, we ask that you would heal us from our suffering in those areas that we still have need for your healing presence to come into. We ask that you would move us to break down walls that we put up that divide us from people whom you love. God, may we be agents of healing and restoration. For all these things in Jesus' name.